Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Jake in the Paint podcast. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by the one and only PD Webb at Above the Break 3 on Twitter. How are you doing, my man? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me. It's uh, great to be here. So PD and I have talked about, I mean, we've been going back and forth in Twitter DMs for a while now and figured that we had to hash this out on a podcast platform. So it worked out the state. I'm finally happy we can nail it down. So for those of you who don't know PD, I, I think that's that number dwindles by the day, but he writes extremely long form and really philosophical breakdowns on wing prospects. Um, it's super, let's say, I want to say off the grid in the best way possible. It's kind of different than your typical scouting report and big board and the game needs that and needs someone to shake that up. And he does that in the best way possible. So, I mean, when my, from my personal experience, when I first came across PD's account, I think it must have been like January. Like it was real early in the year. And I think you had about 30 followers and you had a Moses Moody, like 5,000 word Moses Moody breakdown pinned. So I clicked on that because I need to consume all Moses Moody content. And, I, and I, I told you this straight up. I read through that and I was like, how does this dude only have 30 followers? And there's no way his account is only three year, like three months old at that point. So I, I want to ask you how you got into this, honestly, like, were you monitoring kind of Twitter and just the community? Cause like in your, it was technically your first article, but it didn't seem like you had just picked this up two weeks prior to that. So I'm super interested to hear kind of how you got into this. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I've worked in basketball for, for about five, six years now. Um, you know, my life has been the game and this is just, uh, this is just sort of the best way for me to express it, uh, on the internet. Um, I wanted to write, uh, prospect work for about two, three years. And I've been lurking on draft Twitter for, for about two, three years. Um, you know, with a, with a burner that follows 4,000 people and, and has <laughs> never tweeted once. Um, and I had a problem with rankings for a long time and I don't understand where anyone's coming from and I don't understand what priors they're bringing to the table. I don't understand, um, what they're seeing in the game. And I don't always understand the experiences that they've had to let them to believe this way. So like if somebody says, oh, I have, you know, this kid 15th best in the nation. Like, I don't know what that means to them. I don't know what five-star means to them. And so for me, my, uh, my approach is to lay out exactly why I think that way and try to challenge other people to explain where they're coming from. So that way we can start to build a better discourse towards the game. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a big point. It's something I've honestly been thinking about, especially in the past couple of weeks. Um, i we all pride ourselves and we can take it even to the draft. I've never been one to rank high school players just because look, I watch as much high school basketball as I possibly can. I see a lot of guys live in the area. I get as much YouTube full games as I can, but there comes a point where can you really see enough guys enough times to really feel comfortable ranking 150? Like I always thought this concept of ranking 150 guys nationally was so far fetched and like, leave so much room for error and I have a ton of respect for the guys who do it because it's super super hard and as we both know there's way too much politics that go into that but it's this idea that these players like you can go have one good weekend and you play two or three good games and it can just be you shot the ball really well that week and then all of a sudden you get a 50 boost like 50 you go up 50 spots in the rankings and then that leads people like I feel like me and you to come later on on the back end and say hold up like watch the other three weekends, watch the other 12 of his EYBL games. This isn't regular. And I don't really, we don't really need to name guys, but that's why you get these quote unquote five stars who even go to these blue blood schools. Like the problem I get is I have all these people texting me and they are just responding. Like you're going to tell me someone has Duke, Kansas and North Carolina, and he's not good at basketball. Well, kind of like that stuff happens. You can look in the past 12 months, there's, a handful of guys and so I think that's a really good point about listen you telling me that some kid is 18th in the nation like why is he better than the 22nd kid in the nation or what is that is he better what does that mean to you so I think I mean that's a really good point to start off and I'm that's super interesting because I didn't even know that's why you started these whole long breakdowns yeah, uh, I've been anti-big board for a minute and I mean big boards are just the extension of high school rankings Mm -hmm. and uh and to me, I always just ask the question of like, where are you coming from with this? Um, and more than anything, it hurts the kids. 
um, you know, there are kids who get overranked and don't go to the, their, the school that's best for them because they feel like there's a, you know, a higher location up the ladder. Um, and it takes, you know, a year or two off their basketball life. Um, there are kids who get under recruited and, uh, because of, you know, how they play one live weekend versus, uh, you know, a, a semi-open weekend and they got to go to a school that maybe, you know, is farther away from home. Like these things matter. And by having a lot of the, the methodology behind closed doors or have it as like, you know, just a couple sentences on their profile, um, robs everyone in the community of better understanding, better conversations and a better process. Yeah. Um, I want to talk before we get into your big breakdowns, you brought up big boards and I've, I've never seen you put out a big board. I don't correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think you've ever put one out. I don't even know if you have one. No, uh, I, I, I don't believe in it. So, Uh, yeah. So I, while big boards are, it's consistently something I'm changing, I'm looking around, I'm posting. I think it's the easiest way for people to see where I'm at on a prospect, whether I'm lower, or higher, whatever. And I think there's something to be said for it being like a measuring stick where were, were you correct? Did you correctly project this prospect? Did you incorrectly project this prospect? But I used to be way, way too hard on myself oh, do I have this guy above this guy? And I kept thinking to myself, to what end? And I saw someone, I wish I could remember who tweeted it because I really want to give them credit. And I don't think they're the first people to think about this, but they were like, look, essentially after your top 10, and you can do this by looking at a redraft because a redraft tells you this. After your top 10, you're basically betting on who's going to stick in the league the longest. So like, look, I don't think I'm going to do this, but like, is there something to be said? And I want to get your take on this. Is there something to be said for ranking the top 10 guys in the class and the top 10 like high outcome guys and then compiling a list of 10 to 12 guys, someone that comes to my mind personally, someone like Trey Jones, someone you just wrote about Desmond Bain, guys like that in this class who you just feel have a good chance at sticking in the league and providing value. Like, what do you think about that? I mean, I think that the more clear that you are about what exactly a big board is to you, the more useful it is. Mm -hmm. So if you're a person who says like, these are the 10 people I believe that can create, you know, a one-on-one shot in isolation and, you know, a late clock situation in a playoff game, that big board I find extremely valuable. Yeah. But if it's just, these are 60 people that I think are the best, I can't do anything with that because I don't understand where you're coming from. So I think that the more specific you are, it's like, I think these are guys that will have a 12 year career. Mm -hmm. We can work out what those archetypes mean. We can work out. Um, you know, why certain people aren't on this list. Like we can have conversations around it that aren't this guy isn't over this guy. And I think that just, uh, that pushes the conversation away from moving the culture forward and moving uh, like actual helpful discussions. And it's just people doing drive-bys and other people's mentions. Yeah, no, I look, and I, even though I'm probably going to put out a final board this year, that completely goes against what we're both sort of agreeing on. Like that doesn't mean that I'm, as I'm working on this, it's, I don't think to myself, what am I really doing here? You know, like, am I doing this so I can go back three years from now and say, Oh, I had this guy 18th, like for what, for what, you know, like what context does that provide? So I've been thinking a lot about the final rollout and like what the individual evaluations are going to mean, maybe certain articles that I would do leading up to it prior, like something you said, like, look, these are the eight guys that I think can be your bench creator in a playoff series. Like that's a valuable archetype. And that's a, that's something that you need. Um, I don't know what I'm eventually going to put out, but anyways, I think that's a really good starting point because that hits on like kind of the philosophy that you work with. So now that we've got out the way that you're anti big board, what you're very pro are these long. And I mean, then the best way possible, philosophical, deeply, like some of the best analysis out there. And I can say that with no bias that also integrates something with culture that 90% of the time I didn't even know existed. So I want you to talk about that and tell the listeners one, how you kind of came about that and what's your process of putting that out. Um, so the way that I came up with the way that I write is I tried to combine a couple of different schools of thought. Um, you have the people who are you know really intensive into high school scouting. And the first thing that they mentioned is, you know, who somebody played EYBL with, the bad people that they've battled uh, on the high school circuit, you know, where they were thinking about going to college. Um, so that I try to do like a background portion, you know, uh, a statistics portion where you get uh, as much data, shout out to Max Reps always, uh, for having <laughs> high school stats. Um, 
you know, UIBL stats from the sources I can get, you know, BART and the, the basketball reference, and then sort of blend it all together to get a, a holistic view. And then this, this sort of culture piece, which I've labeled like a perspective, is that a lot of people understanding why they think some way or what they think about um, is as valuable as what they actually think. Um, so a lot of times it's just like, I'll, I'll watch a player play and I'm like, this kind of reminds me of this. And then I'm like, well, why does it make me think of that? And then I'll just spend like, you know, two hours Googling. I'm like, oh, here's a thing that kind of reminds me of that. And I include it, A, because I kind of think that a lot of like sometimes basketball people can be boring and that, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, an element of it's like, you know, we can, the other experiences that you have, like for people who aren't, um, don't come from like a strict pipeline, like a, I'm not a person that comes straight from, uh, you know, I'm not co-signed like every person that went through the Duke program, is that the experiences <laughs> that you have outside of basketball are more beneficial for a lot of people than the ones that they, that they have. I call them um, straight line people where they go from their high school all the way to whatever career they have in life. And then a lot of people who end up being successful are more zigzag people who bounce around the world, picking up little things and, uh, and using those towards their ultimate purpose. And so that's sort of the the lens that I'm trying to bring is the just this idea of bringing different stuff um, towards it. And then the way that I actually evaluate the prospects is I look at the thing that they need to work on most. Um, so I've broken it up into uh, eight particular subsects. And then from there, I rank on how likely I think that their intersection of tools, of talent, of um, you know, statistical implications is to likelihood of value at an MBA level. So, you know, a 6'1 person who needs to shoot is totally different than a 6'11 you know, small forward who needs to shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, it's, it's an open question to the reader of like, what in player development, what in role, what in organization, what in team building do you think is easiest to fix? And everybody has a different solution. And that's the question that I've been meaning, you know, I've been building towards asking you, which is that of the, of the categories we'll remove role. What do you think is the easiest to fix between shot creation, shooting, dribbling, passing, and defense? So I actually, this is pretty fitting because I was listening to Prep the Prep, Preps Pro podcast, shout out to those guys, and they were talking with TJ Farrick, part two, and they were answering this question that you posed. So I was wondering if I was going to get hit with this question. So I would say, hmm, let me go with it. So I want to break it down into like smaller parts because I, I think like, defense, shooting, um, handling and shot creation. Those are all like really broad subjects. Um, the thing feel like feel gets tossed around a lot and like decision-making. I think that is probably like seeing the game at a plus level. That's something I'm, I think that's probably the hardest thing to change. Like I don't, I think you can learn reads and I think we're seeing it at the NBA level, like hitting the, and we t- I'd mentioned this, I was going in a discourse with someone about this on Twitter the other day. They were saying, what's an advanced read? Like, hit is, they feel like the corner, the skip pass to the corner is no longer an advanced read. And I was saying, well, the pass itself isn't very advanced anymore. But if you're like the ability to play with, and this comes up with your, in your Halliburton with like the video game, like playing with the, playing with the tag man and just maybe drawing him in just enough we're talking one or two steps to to the point where you can whip that pass to get to the shooter where he has that advantage that the ball handler created to then shoot the three like if we're talking just simple pass pick and roll reads I think that's relatively easy shooting a catch and shoot three I don't know how easy that is um we talk a lot about indicators and I don't really know where you're at on indicators for me, volume is probably the biggest and the most important. Like, I need to see you shoot them. And that's just point blank period. I'm not really going to get sold on someone who's taking like 0.8 attempts per game because if you could shoot, why aren't you taking it more? And I know there's outliers in terms of role and coaches do way too much at times. But most of the time, if you can shoot, you're going to get find a way to get a, at least three a game up in college. Um so this going back to my kind of long-winded answer, I think what I'm going to say, I'm going to say typical like baseline, we're talking like lowest lowest impact possible team defense. Um just simple positioning, rotations, and this is might sound counterintuitive to something I wrote because earlier about a month and a half ago, I talked about Aaron Nismith and I talked about how I'm pretty pessimistic about his defensive projection because he's such a poor team defender. And I had a lot of people talking to me will say, and 
someone who's listening to this maybe, well, if you think team defense is the easiest to correct, why, why are you so low on Aaron Nismith? And it's just for him personally, I think he literally has the worst reaction time in the class, like by far, and some of the worst reaction time I've seen, period. Like he literally doesn't react to an action or a slip or anything until the ball is at the rim. So that, I'm just going to get that out of the way. For me personally, I would say simple rotations and just positioning. Like, okay, when the ball's here, you're here. If, that, if they come off a pick and roll, you're sliding. This is your tag. Because, like, that stuff gets taught from the earliest level. Like, I'm as a high school basketball player, that stuff gets drilled into me. So I think players have the longest experience, unless you're Lamella Ball, and I'm sure we'll talk about him. They have the longest experience learning those concepts, and they've been in touch with them for the longest amount compared to, like, handle and shot creation and advanced pick and roll reads. And I think those are kind of just the easiest to pick up over time. What do you think about that? That was a really long-winded answer, but... No, I mean, uh, I'm very pro-long-winded answers. That's an official <laughs> position for me. So again, the, the categories are shooting, dribbling, playmaking, defense, uh, tools, feel, and then I guess role if you want to get into like wiring. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I think the easiest thing to fix um, is probably playmaking to go from like being terrible to being okay. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I don't, not because that wasn't like my number one, I would say like we talked about just those learned reads. Okay. Read this guy here and then react and make that pass. Like, I think that is certainly teachable. I don't, I still sticking with the defense, but I think that's, yeah. Uh, also like, I think this question is important because if you talk to 10 NBA people, you get 10 different answers. Yep. Everybody has different things that they are more comfortable with in terms of player development, in terms of org- like what they think is truly um, unteachable or what is truly uh, an inherent skill. Um, I, I always have pushback with feel uh, because I, I feel like there are a lot of people who say that like feel and to some extent IQ, but like IQ is its own uh, subsection of basketball. Uh, and it's a term I really hate. Uh, feel feel is super teachable otherwise like why are you coaching like if Mm -hmm. feel is not teachable you would literally just dump all the kids you think can't hoop and you would just take the kids with really high feel so i i'm gonna pose someone i'm gonna push back a little bit on that and i this is exactly why i want to have you on the pod because let's i'm okay i don't totally disagree with you in the fact could you take a completely not atrocious quote-unquote decision maker and I put that in quotes because I think that term gets tossed around a lot. A bad decision maker, think someone like Jonathan Kaminga. Or on ball we're talking? On ball, yeah, on ball. Someone like that, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities that Jonathan Kaminga becomes like an, a league average passer, right? Like I, I'm, we're going to talk about him later, but I don't think that's out of the realm of possibilities. What I was referring to in terms of like feel and I'm talking about like a Tyrese Halliburton Obviously, LaMelo is like otherworldly here, but even I'm going to say a Killian Hayes, like someone who can really move the defense and create an advantage with their eyes and with their manipulation, with these jump passes, with these ball fakes in midair. I think that is pretty much unteachable to an extent. Yeah, see, I just disagree with that. Like mm-hmm. to me, and this is the reason why I think that a lot of people intellectualize feel mm-hmm. and really it's just comfort. Like how comfortable are you on the floor? And like, I think this is a lesson you get when you play with old dudes in pickup where they just like, you know, guys who played D1 or played in the league or whatever, they could be like 45 years old and they still just understand the timing and are comfortable making moves and because they know the time, the windows they're going to have. And once you start to get comfortable, then those things happen while your brain is still moving. You're not a particularly good basketball player. It's when it comes out of your brain into your body of like, don't worry, he'll be there. I got a second to make an extra move or look off somebody. Um, the hardest thing is dribbling. Like, full stop, I, the hardest yeah. thing to go from yep. good to great is dribbling. Um, tools, you know, there's weight rooms have made in, in, an insane growth. Uh, great shooters to some, some degree are just there, but you can get most people to being pretty good shooters if you're willing to uh, meet them where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the people who say dribbling is the easiest one, uh, I'm, always, I'm always a little bit hesitant at that because there's a real factor in that. It's like you can teach anybody to really handle it. Mm-hmm. I, in terms of handle, and this is why, and I'm kind of just giving names to go across with these philosophies because I think it's easier for people to associate with that way. I'm higher on Jared Butler than other people, and I get pushback 
and say he's a scoring guard. You can find scoring guards anywhere. But to and yes, I get it. Like I get it. But that dude's handle is off the charts, and he is really damn good at shifting a defense and making his primary defender look absolutely helpless with this plethora of dribble moves that I genuinely like. If we want to talk about unteachable, I don't think you can teach someone to have a bag like that. Like I, I don't. I think there's improved handles, but to an extent, and this is how I'm. This is kind of the same approach with the feel. There's just a certain level of being a ball handler that I just think is like elite and it's pretty much untouchable that like you either have it from a young age and that's a part of your game and that's something you drilled and you just you're just comfortable with it like you said being comfortable on the court or you don't like yes there are improved handles yes you can make it a little bit tighter I think but I can't recall I've anytime I've seen someone go from like eh, eh ball handler to like shaking primary defenders out of their shoes you know yeah that that's been my open call for people because this is my you know this has been a thing that I've been talking about for for like four or five months now is just show me in basketball history the past 25 years a dude who went from like okay like okay for their level handle to amazing at their level handle and like the best example people come up with is katie which tells me you didn't watch high school katie (laughs) yeah i I know my guy mark stern at capital hoops he has some montrose o'kill footage up there you can go educate yourself if if that's your go-to example um I do want to ask you about the feel before we move on to some 2021 college fits in terms of, and I just want, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not attacking you. I'm not doing anything other than trying to just get a gauge of where your head's at, because one, I think we need, like there needs to be disagreements in basketball philosophy, because if I'm just thinking to myself right now, Petey's a really smart dude. He thinks feels teachable. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. Then, then we don't get anywhere. Right. I, we need to have these conversations. So my question to you would be, Let's just say, okay, I'm going to embrace your philosophy that feel is teachable. What, I'm not going to say what examples are there, but what types as like someone who's interested in player development, what types of action would you take in terms of development to improve feel? Uh, Reps, 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 reps. Um, The example here is Mitchell Robinson. Um, So like the Knicks, when they drafted Mitchell Robinson, had a guy that, you know, played at a low level his his senior year of high school. Um, Louisiana is not one of our t- top 20 hoop states with all due respect. Um, and, you know, then he didn't play for a year of college. And mm-hmm. as much as, as high level of pickup you got to get to, to really count as a game rep, that he wasn't getting that while everybody was in season. So now you have a 20-year-old who kind of has one and a half, two years missing. And what you have to do is get him up to speed by repping him to death in game action so that he can start to slowly build that comfort. I think feel is buildable, but um, it, it'd be similar to building an archipelago. You just start to stack, you know, little grains of sand until it slowly sticks out. And it might be, you know, just this pick and roll read a hundred times. Mm-hmm. And then you go to the other side. Okay. This is a slip read. We're going to do this one a hundred times. And that's all he's allowed to do in pickup. Yeah. So I, this is actually a perfect segue into our next section. And I I agree. Live reps are irreplaceable and it's the best ultimate form of development. There, nothing else can replace it. And I mean, I talked about on Hardwood Hustle about like a week and a half ago about picking the best fit. And the, the usual way you get good rewarding reps is by picking the best fit. So this is a good segue into our next t- like group that we want to talk about. You asked me favorite fits for the 2020 high school class. And I think, and one guy we certainly had in common that I've been tweeting about a lot for the past 24 hours because I had a feeling I want to talk about him. Then I rewent, I went back to the film and confirmed I want to talk about him. And he is the epitome of reps, reps, reps. And that's Caleb Murphy going to USF. So talk to me about Caleb Murphy. Uh, shout out to Caleb Murphy's people. They bet on his development. And um, I'm so excited to see what he can do. Um, he's a guy who you know has really interesting movement skills. Yep. Um, really interesting uh, pathways to get into the rim. He jumps off two a lot of times for a skinny guy, which is like, that's just one of those things that people don't see coming. It's almost goofy to be, to I, jump off two for a skinny dude. So I posted the first time. So I was watching, I watched him last night again. And I was like, it's pretty incredible. And there's a, there's, I, there's a clip on my Twitter that you can go find whoever, if you're listening to this. And then I posted like two screenshots from the clip. And it's literally Caleb Murphy in transition 
he gathers to jump off two feet at the elbow and he literally glides and extends and gets all the way to the rim off two feet as a 6'2", 170-pound guard. And I was just like, that is completely abnormal. And like that in itself needs much more attention. Yeah, I mean, when you're a player who's going into a rep situation, if you can find the, the flashes that, you know, 5, 10, 15 people in your, you know, uh, height and weight classification can do, you bet on that, dude. Mm-hmm. Like when you find special things and you're like, all right, we're going to put them in the hyperbaric chamber, a ball in hand, go. Like that's, an, that's about as interesting of a bet when you just see guys, you're like, no, but I don't know how many other people can do that realistically. Like can BJ do that? I don't, I it was so eye-popping to me because I don't, I didn't know of anyone in the 2020 class that moved like that at that size, at that position, and was like with that body control, that explosion, and the like, the coordination with the extend finish. I, I genuinely thought that was one of one, and that's why I'm just like I kind of haven't stopped thinking about that for the past 12 hours. Um, and it is, it's important to note that his. Uh, his synergy stats are also wild for Atlanta Celtics. Um, we got him 81st percentile. This is 19 game sample, so it's pretty good. Um, Adidas is a little bit, you know, a little bit sparser, but 19 is a good amount. Uh, 81st percentile for overall half court, 86th, which again, 86th for a skinny dude is something. Yep. Uh, free in transition. Um, let's see, and let's scroll down to the. I wanted to ask about the off the dribble jumper. Yes. And how you felt about it. So it's wonky to say the least. Um, the right knee it is a little knee knocked. It's a little hitchy. It's a forehead release. I, I'm, I don't have shooting numbers for him. So I don't, I don't, he could be a 35% shooter off the dribble. and like, okay, it's passable. It didn't look like that in the film that I watched. And unfortunately the synergy people haven't blessed me with a glitch. So I, I don't, I haven't seen those stats available. Talk to me. I got him at uh, 52. I got him at 52 possessions um, for 28th percentile. Yeah. So that was something, and it's it's off the catch too. Um, the mechanics, they're not very good. The lower body is kind of all over the place. Like I said, the right knee is the low knee knocked, and then the upper body, it's just it kind of feels like it's like a little bit laggy in NBA 2K. Like, do you know what I'm going going out getting out with that? Yeah, and the knee knock is to me something that's extremely fixable. Yeah, um, that's a I mean, look, com- yeah, I don't want to. I I keep interrupting you, but like we talked about this, we saw someone like Cole Anthony in in the span of twelve months, fifteen months, completely fix that. Yeah, that valgus compression is doable. I mean, and most college um, weightlifting programs are going to have a flexibility section, so I would expect him the next time you see him for those hips, as it pertains to like sitting down for the squatting motion of his jumper, to be a lot better. Mm-hmm. The upper body is going to need some, some fine tuning in the lab, but from the clips I've seen from him during this time, it looks a little bit better, a little more cleaned up. Yeah. So the upper body, the upper body, I think is probably like you said, that's going to require more fine tuning, but at the end of the day, he just needs to get to a passable level as a shooter, because if we're talking about this freak athlete type and I want to move on to the next guy, but again, I think we're both on the same page. Like, something where you get like freakish movement skills for someone at that size combined with the reps. Like you, you mentioned, you can't get a more interesting bet than that. So moving on. So do you want to give me your first guy? Give me, give me, yeah. some, give me some, um, I will take, uh, Auburn university, Sharif Cooper, uh, a fit that I absolutely love. Um, go. a big part of this for me is, not just looking at like what you bring to that university. It's what else they brought along beside you. And um, this is the second straight. We're going to go on how you go. Cause Auburn is going to be as good as Sarif Cooper. Yep. Um, he Bruce Pearl lets his guards rock. Like if you are a point guard for Bruce Pearl, there's not really that much looking over your shoulder. With reef. He's always someone that I think I've been higher on than most. And I get the physical concerns. I mean, that dude is probably six foot 160 if we're being generous. And it shows on the court. Like, this is not someone who just has no – and is so good at overcompensating. While he is pretty damn good, in my opinion, he's, it's not flawless. Like, he gets pushed around. He gets pushed off his spots. Caleb Murphy gave him a tough time in the game I just watched. He has some trouble finishing around the rim just with bigger, guard, bigger uh, forwards that have good verticality. But at the end of the day, you get someone like Reef where – 
the part of the game that I just can't like get enough of is just this wicked one of one creativity and confidence that he plays with. Like I've never seen that dude get rattled once in my life, and I don't think I ever will. Like it, he he'll put you in the mid, he'll put you in the in like the mid post and he'll back you down for like a Dirk fadeaway jumper. He has these step backs in his bag, incredible same hand, same like finishes, a, a plethora of floaters. And the passing is just like off the charts. Like no looks are, they come so easy to him. He'll distract the defense with his eyes. And then the ball just like pops out. Literally. I, it's pretty incredible to watch him. And I just think someone like you talked about Bruce Pearl, he lets his guards rock. There's not going to be, and there's not going to be too much Bruce Pearl having his hand in trying to ruin what Sharif does. And so I think it's one of my favorite fits too, because you're just going to get to see a chance to, you're going to see him go. And whether that's great or bad, we'll see, but we're going to see Reef be Reef, And that's pretty much all you can ask for. Yeah. Um, he's definitely a, a multi-year starter on a team that me and you have talked about before, which is just the never scared all-stars. Yep. Um, yep. That's just a, there's this sort of like category that me and uh and one of the kids that I work out came up with of just dudes who you've never seen shook despite every reason to like Mello was a part of this team when he was like 12 years old uh <laughs> doug mcdaniel is our current captain because that kid is just never scared that was my that first was impression scared. of him i watched him as a that freshman in high school and i and i showed i showed the kid and he was like never scared captain i'm like he's like five foot seven five foot six at this point oh. the kid just could fight a lion at that point i, I at that point i would have picked, picked him on any team in america just like, okay. yeah i need this kid so quick little anecdote about Doug. So I interviewed Coach Frello for my podcast and we talked about before that Monverde game and he's saying, because if you're, I mean, for those of you who don't know, I mean, they had Jeremy Roach and Anthony Harris and that was supposed to be their starting backcourt, best backcourt in the country. They both go down with ACL tears and now all of a sudden Coach Frell has to roll out Doug McDaniel, true freshman, who was probably 5'7 at the time. And Trevor Keels, a sophomore, who just was like a role player as a freshman. And they're about to play Montverde with Kate Cunningham, Harlem Beverly, Precious Atua. Just, I mean, pretty damn good team. And he's thinking, man, like this is the first. And Coach Rell, he's saying this on the pod. And he's like, we're about to get pressed. Like I haven't gotten pressed in 10 years because I always have great guards and teams are scared to press us. I don't know how my guys are going to react. And then, of course, you get Doug McDaniel breaking the press by himself, th- throwing no look dimes, taking Precious off the bounce. Um, I, was, I saw that game in person, and he rightfully owned his, earned his spot as the never scared captain, but go on. Never scared. Just, <laughs> you'd love to see it. You'd love to see – I mean, like, the benefit of the, the sneaker system going down to, to middle school is that kids are used to playing on, like, stages. I mean, it has its issues where you have rankings with kids that are far too young expectations put on them but you also have kids who are used to playing in spotlight and that was a kid who was prepared for the moment so you know shout out to him shout out to him never being scared and shout out for him to putting up a real fight against Montford. yep the issue that i have with sharif is i don't know how good of a shooter he is yes um for his eybl sample of 87 possessions he grades out in the 39th percentile for 0.759 points per shot which isn't great and the release is a little low at times it can be slow gathering. I think it's just because he can get whatever separation he wants in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think he has enough leg power to, to be able to shoot from, you know, off the bounce from NBA uh, when people go under on pick and rolls. Um, that's just something we're going to be able to see because the one thing that he's not going to lock for at Auburn is times to, to really rep that out. Yeah. I think I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I think it's look, we can project all we want, but, the good part about these guys going to school is we're going to have 30 games and you're going to grade out wherever you grade out. And that goes for BJ Boston, who I want to talk about later too. But with reef, I, when I talk to people, they get a lot like, like someone even told me the other day, I don't, I don't like how he shoots. He's, he's too cool ass. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. I know he doesn't get like, he's not like every other six foot guard who gets great elevation on their jumper. Like someone like Caleb love who it's so in rhythm, but reef is reef. Like, he's laid back. That's, that's a part of his MO. So I don't really have a big problem with him, like not getting a ton of elevation or it being a little bit slow at times, but I do think it could be get like the actual release could get become a little bit more fluid, but look, I'm, I'm not a shot doctor at the end of the day. He's wherever he grades out as a pull-up shooter. I think that, I mean, that's going to be the big thing for him because like you said, the space creation is there. It's going to translate. But at the end of the day, he's a small guard. And if a small guard struggles to space the floor, then I don't care how good you are as a passer and how creative you are as a finisher, 
you're going to have problems. So I, I think that's definitely a reason for concern, but I'm pretty in on Sharif Cooper preseason. You want to move on to your next guy? So I'm going to give, I'm going to give you one. And this is one I said I'd be for the pod. Um, Scotty Barnes in Florida state. I'm interested before I give my case, I want to hear what you think about that. Uh, you mean Scotty Barnes starting point guard? Yep. That's exactly where I'm about to go with this. So Scotty Barnes, so there was a tweet, some, I think it was a Florida state beat writer said point guard, Scotty Barnes, and then listed his measurements. And someone said point guard question mark in the mentions. And he said, yep, based on how it is, that's, that's where he's going. And if you look at the roster, I mean, it's not hard to find. They literally don't have a backup point guard or any. Oh, uh, well, well, that, that backup point guard is Raekwon Gray. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that would be Raekwon Gray. So definition of big guard. So what I love about this fit is when you're watching Scotty Barnes, and this is the beauty of watching guys, multiple settings. Um, I've seen Scotty in three, you've seen, I've seen him in high school. I've seen him in FIBA and I've seen him in AAU and by far the most impressive he looks is in AAU and that's when he's operating as literally the primary ball handler for Knight Riders Elite and I have my I have my reserves about Scotty because I don't think he's a good shooter at all and I can't really buy that at all and that gives me some hesitance just based on my philosophy but there are moments where he looks downright special handling the ball for Knight Riders and just at 6'8 in the open floor, in the half court, initiating pick and rolls, making no look drop-offs, kicking out to shooters, live drill passes with both hands like he's really really special as a playmaker and i tweeted about this he's not and it's similar to denny you're not and i think um scotty's a better passer than denny was you're not going to want to put these guys in the corner and just say uh be a cog in our offense scotty barnes to, for him to be maximized you want him to have pick and roll reps you want him to be an initiator and so i love that he's going to a school at florida state that has zero has like they're not even thinking twice about giving him the rock to the point where they don't even have a literal point guard on their roster that if maybe even to their detriment, that if shit goes sideways, there's no other backup plan. Like he is their guy. Um, I think he probably has to tighten up the handle. And I think that could be a problem for him once you get into conference play. But nonetheless, I'm excited to see him with the keys there. Yeah. Um, when I did my Scotty breakdown, I, I did it with Denny as well because they're the same archetype of guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, Scotty's a little better of a prospect than Denny. Um, obviously, there's a shooting differential, and that Scotty, I would say, regressed as a shooter as a senior, where Dariq was taking more threes um, than Scotty was. Some of that's a function of like Montbert didn't have to uh, because they were 40 balling most state champions. But um, the reality is that um, if Scotty doesn't shoot, like this whole thing gets a lot dicier. And I, I mean, I think Florida State's a top three uh, coaching staff in the country, full stop. Um, and I trust them to do great player development with him. But he's starting up pretty far back uh, on the self-creation point. And I think I need to see him take, you know, two threes a game, even if they don't go up. And that, for me, is the sign of him developing, is him just being comfortable missing. Yep. I, and I, that's a great point about volume. And it's something that we can bang our head against the wall about Ben Simmons or something like like Ben Simmons versus Giannis. If you look at a point like – those are both non-shooters, but the difference is Giannis is comfortable taking three a game and shooting 23%, and that's okay. And, I, and I'm with you on this. I'd be higher on Scotty with him taking two a game and shooting 23% than him just not taking them at all because then I have nothing to bet on. It's, you're not I, like, yes, I know you're working on it, but I need to see it. Like we need, the only way you get better is, like we said, live game reps. So I think shooting comfort is going to be a huge thing for him i would say of the three settings like fiba and look it's tough for 17 18 year olds playing 19u fiba to be like really good there i mean we saw cage struggle but scotty I, that gave me some reserves watching him in fiba yeah the fiba tape is tough it's also it speaks to like how specific his athleticism is because there's you know because he has a huge wingspan he can look like a lot better athlete at times than he is he's more of a a run than a like multiple cut and jump guy. Um, and I think FIBA at times bore that out. Um, obviously he's huge, built like a sedan. Um, but I don't think you're going to find a more empowered situation than the one he's going to have at Florida state. So if he doesn't shoot a volume that speaks to a lot about how he's wired with regards to the shooting. Yep. Completely agree. All right. Hit me with your next one. 
You there? Yeah, sorry. I was tinkering between tabs. Uh, <laughs> let's go with Jabri Abdul-Rahim at UVA. I like it. Um, so Jabri is probably the best shot creator that uh, Bennett's ever had at UVA. Um, he can kind of get his jumper off whenever, which is also sort of the problem. Um, he's somebody that can settle for like difficult looks. And sometimes it does look like it's just out of boredom. Um, when he gets hot, he gets super hot. Um, in EYBL, he ended up grading out as kind of a poor shooter. Um, I think it's just cause he took, took so, so many, many. Yeah. and he was in an environment where they were like, yeah, uh, go create off the bounce. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that looks good as a development setting. It can be difficult to look back on, um, as an analytic setting. And we probably wouldn't do that if we were, you know, in a different, um, historical moment. But because we're in the moment we're in, we got to go back to the tape that we have. Yep. Um, he graded out as an average shooter, which gives me like he took so much off the bounce, and that leads me to believe that like there's a lot more there if you cut the off the bounce stuff, which probably isn't going to happen at UVA. But those late clock Kyle Guy shots are now late clock debris shots, <laughs> and that's just that's just a role he's going to fit in like a glove. He's long. He's a smart. Like he's he's going to be in a situation where his. Weaknesses are hidden and his strengths are amplified and the system needs his strengths. Yep. So to me, this is about the best fit that you could have for a guy who's wired like him. I agree. And I like, look, if we're talking about just teams that I liked watching, like the New Jersey players were not particularly one of them, but 40 ball Bree was a ton of fun. Like him, just, they gave him the green light and said, look, go. And that six set, I think What's the official measurement for him? Like six, seven, six, eight. I mean, he looked big. He looks big. On I think team. he's six, seven and a half. Yeah. So he looks like about six, seven, six, eight. And I think, look, there's something to that. We t- I've talked about it with Ant a lot, like this double-edged sword of being a, a, sh- a shot maker who can get hot really quickly. And when you get hot, you get really, really hot. And I think Jabri kind of suffers from that too. But you said it, look, at, at UVA, go run around screens, go take these wild movement threes. You're not going to have to put the ball in the deck, but that's a school that lacks shot creation. So for him to operate in spurts with shot creation rather than every single possession like he did with players, I think that's something that will definitely benefit him statistically and going forward. And I think it's important to note that Bennett has a history of tinkering with people's shots for the better. Um, you know, it's a, it is a program that definitely like takes the shooters as they are and makes small tweaks and has gotten, you know, great results out of the guys that he takes. It seems that that's a big part of their evaluation process. And if they looked at Jabri and said, we can make small changes to this and he's going to be like a 38, 39% shooter in our system with our reps, mm-hmm. then I believe in that. Cause that's a program that has results with player development and with tweaks on jumpers. Yep. Um, I'm going to go into my next guy. This is the last one I have. Um, I have Namari Burnett at Texas tech. Um, so with Namari, he was someone. He was hurt in a couple of the prolific prep games that I forced myself to watch. As we've talked about, the grind session can be a grind to get through. Um, so Namari Burnett, and in some of the games I watched, it wasn't great. He wasn't great, but he was someone I really, really liked last year as a junior at prolific, and I really, really liked on the circuit. Um, he's a little. He's undersized. I think he's only about six three, six three and a half for an off ball guard. So obviously we're not ideal there, but he is super lengthy and really rangy. They one someone from prolific said he had a six, eight and a half wingspan. So we're talking about plus five there. And I really like him as a shooter. And I just think he has a really good skill set. I don't think he's a one and done guy, which is why I love the Texas tech fit. Um, I trust them to get every little ounce out of him athletically and strength wise. And then build on the shooting and build on the skills that he has. So more of a long-term guy for me, but again, I like the baseline that they're starting with. And then Texas tech obviously has really good, has a really good progression trajectory or track record. I couldn't find the word track record of player development with this kind, with this type of player. So I'm interested to monitor him going forward. So I was out on this fit until you said multi-year because this is a, um, this is an interesting logjam that they have. Mm-hmm. They brought in a lot of guys who are, you know, about the same archetype. Like Namari is kind of a two, but I kind of view him as an undersized three. Like yeah. to me, he's a he's a pure wing. A and wing. then you have the guys for training like Shannon. Um, you know, Texas Tech has the opportunity to to be really uh, hard on their guys and like rotate them. Um, so I don't know how 
much on the ball reps he's going to get. And to me, that's the way that he provides the best value. I really like Namari. Um, this is just one of those situations where like, I don't know who shakes out and some of it's just going to come down to who could execute the, uh, the, the no middle defensive scheme best. Um, I'm a little concerned because prolific defensive um, effort and, and uh, you know, ability to stick to script wasn't something I enjoyed. Um, <laughs> That's about the nicest way you could have put it. I, I you know, I, I try, I've tried to work on tone, um, but I mean, I really like Micah Peavy. Uh, Agbo is somebody that if he didn't live in San Diego would probably have a much bigger name. San Diego just has a, a weird thing with guys not um, getting as much public as they deserve. Um, I just, I think this is an interesting class and I like Namari on the face. I just wonder how, what percentage of time he's going to end up with. That's interesting. I, I, I get it with, look, there's only so many guys that you're going to play at that two, three ish role. And then TJ Shannon, obviously he's a lock to get, he's a lock to be starter and then get a good amount of usage. And then you said like Agbo and Micah Peavy. I mean, I get, I get where you're coming from, but I just, this was something independent that like I like Namari and I like Texas Tech, so kind of a good fit. Go on though. Give me your last one or two guys that you have, and then we'll move on. Yeah, I got one, and then we both have the same, the last one that we, we probably need to talk about. Uh, so I got Johnny Davis at Wisconsin. Oh, uh, I like Johnny it. Da- Give me, talk to me about a Wisconsin boy. Uh, Johnny Davis was somebody that when I watched him at the Montford Invitational, uh, he played uh, Curbelo and Luhai. And, uh, and talking to people around about it, they were like, this kid is ranked what? <laughs> Cause like the kid is like, he can shoot the lights out. He has creation ability. Um, my understanding is that like him and his brother were a package deal. Mm-hmm. And you know, that tends to, you kind of end up finding a middle ground and Wisconsin for, you know, whatever reason um, didn't, hype him up as probably as much as he needs to be because to me he's when i saw this kid you know three four times i was like oh so he's gonna come in and, and just really shoot the hell out of the ball uh competes has the ability to really create shots i think he can create easy looks um mm-hmm. he's a touch undersized uh but for a guy that's probably going to end up being a uh, a stats darling uh at that slow pace i just i can see him you know this time next year being like so the the numbers on this are crazy I like it. I like it. And someone, look, as I'm someone who's going to attend University of Wisconsin next year, their brand of basketball and basketball team in general isn't always the most entertaining. So when I hear about a potential underrated recruit who might or may not be a prospect, that, that's something that intrigues me. So I appreciate it. To me, he is a team. prospect. I like uh, it. The, he is a prospect. Uh, and then our last one, um, I, I, we're both, we were both members of it. So let's just talk about it. Let's talk about the Moody Mafia. Yep. Uh, Moses Moody going to so with Moody, and I talked about this, watching Moses Moody in EYBL is just a completely eye-opening experience. And I didn't watch any Brad Beal Elite last year live for whatever reason. So I, this is my first time seeing him in that setting. And I've only watched him with Montverde where he's – and I look, I loved him at Montverde. There's nothing wrong about that. And based off the Montverde film, he was a late lottery guy to me. I really like the shooting. The defense is incredible. And I just think in a class that has a bunch of like star gambles, he kind of provides this like safer, more projectable archetype and skill projection. Then I turned on the UIBL film and this dude is initiating pick and rolls. He's taking step back threes. The footwork on his shot creation is beyond what I ever could have expected. He's making live drill passing reads and I was absolutely blown away and had no choice but to fit him into the top 10. Welcome. <laughs> um, give me a second to pull up the uh, Montford High School numbers real quick. So in terms of the Arkansas fit, basically just circle back. At just the idea of him getting creation reps there where he's on the ball and he's not just off to the side. Like if he would have picked it, a blue blood school where he's kind of just pushed off to the corner and he would still do Moses Moody things, which we love but this idea of him getting more creation reps and growing there and developing shot creation profile, that's something I'm beyond intrigued by. Yeah. So the thing with Moody is that I think there's a whole bunch of really low hanging fruit um, for him developmentally. The thing that really jumped out to me was uh, there was a game 
in Jersey where they played Rainey. Andy hit like seven threes out of eight attempts, I think. Yep. And he fell down on like four of them. Just like <laughs> he, he couldn't land properly. And I, like at first I was like, okay, that's kind of interesting. Then I went through his film and he like has balance troubles. And I was like, oh, I see why he's not exploding in and out of these, you know, these dribble moves. And to me, that's something that a college weight room fixes quickly. Like as much as um, like as, as good of a program as Montverde is, like they're still not going to be able to do everything. And I just have a faith that an SEC weight room is going to, or SEC strength and conditioning program is going to solve the low hanging physical fruit. I still think there's a ton of uh, extra muscle to put on him. He's got a plus eight wingspan. Uh, his uh, his numbers. Uh, I've heard the forty percent from three number pretty consistently. I don't have the like the the real Montverde numbers. Um, the only person I've heard them from is like the the national scouts, like Kevin Daniels. We got him at a eighty six percent. Uh, percentile on guarded three, 69 percentile on all catch and shoots for the Montford sample. Um, and 72nd percentile uh, on 32 attempts uh, for uh, all threes. So, I mean, we're talking about a good shooter who could become a great shooter, um, a defender who has given a lot of people trouble. Um, did you watch the BJ Boston game from BJ's junior year? Uh, I watched that like that must have been like 14 months ago at this point. So give me a refresher. Oh, uh, I mean, it's just like BJ still gets his stuff off because BJ Boston is, you know, in a, a, a shot crit. That was the first game where I was like starting to really be like, okay, so I might need to put Moses Moody in like the like the, the single digits of the lottery mm-hmm. in, in 21. It was just like seeing this skinny dude with long arms, like alter a mega initiator and like change how he approached the game. Um, you know, there's still issues I – I don't like how he gets hit on screens a lot. He has some issue going around them that uh, that needs to get cleaned up. I just think that if you – the next two drafts have a whole bunch of primary initiator bets. Mm-hmm. And once you have a primary initiator, the next thing you need to do is, is get scalable players who can absorb usage when they need it and then create a little bit on their own. And we're getting to a point where we're not full up on initiators, but we are getting to the point where most teams have their initiator bet going forward. And after about you know seven or eight next year, there's a whole bunch of spots for guys who could fit next to it. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm, I mean that's an exa- that's exactly why I'm big on him going forward. Um, you brought up BJ Boston, and we had been talking about this, and I sent you kind of a little rough draft of uh, a big board. <laughs> we'll go back to the hated on topic, but and you're and I had BJ Boston one spot ahead of Jonathan Kaminga, and you're just like I I just can't get there with them. And then, so I was like, okay, I, I get it. And as someone who preaches advantage creation, when you give me a six, seven, maybe even six, eight mega wing who can be an extremely hot pull-up shooter and is like incredibly functionally strong for his age and just bumps dudes off their spots, like it's no, nobody's business. You give me that guy and I'm pretty much all in. I, he his feel and decision making like we talked about earlier is really really atrocious so sell me on Jonathan Kaminga ahead of BJ Boston um if the question is how do you get easy shots Jonathan Kaminga is the straightest line he can get layups against anybody like yeah. he he bumped you know Cade uh he bumped uh Greg Brown like it didn't really matter who in his, was in his way when he made the right decision he made people pay um, he can get he can get to the cup. He can get to uh, his high release pretty quickly. I think that if you're looking, if your primary concern for a jumbo initiator is can he give me easy shots in the full and half court, like Kuminga's your guy. So with uh, going back to our talk about feel, and I, even though we're on opposite sides of the coin in terms of can you improve feel, what we do agree on is, look, it's possible to teach someone premeditated reads and just how to see the floor and okay this is a good look and when they rotate here you make this pass easier and those reads become easier when you and this is something you talked about and i've talked about too tilting the defense and you draw two and three defenders to you and if you take someone like jonathan kaminga the defense has to come out there and respect him because he gets into that pull-up super quickly he's a really good pull-up shooter for his size and given the tools he has for his size and age and the defenses have to respect that. Then you combine that with the strength that we both talked about and him just putting strong guys that are a year older than him in the rim with literally it looks like no effort. 
that is going to make a defense go crazy. And those that attracts two and three guys. So if we're talking feel, that is a feel bet that I'm willing to bet on improving just because if you're talking about Kaminga, it can become so easy for a guy like that. Like you look at Kawhi Leonard. We looked at Kawhi Leonard this past year. Kawhi just made this incredible leap as a passer and it's because you can attribute it to two things. He's super comfortable on the floor, something that you talked about. And then he, it's just so easy for him to draw multiple defenders. And I think that is a Jonathan Kaminga argument that I'm willing to get behind. I think there is another player in this draft that has the same argument. And it, it's the same argument, just with a different flaw. And uh, that's Jalen Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I want you to talk to me about Jalen Johnson because they – I was supposed to see him with IMG and then he was a no show for reasons that won't be talked about on this pod. And then I've been, I, he's one of the people that I've seen the least of in terms of full games, but I've seen the numbers, the shooting numbers and in the games I've watched, that is a, that is a problem. But sell me on Jalen Johnson in this lens. Okay. Um, you want a six eight player who can make amazing reads, who can force um, defenses to rotate just by the idea of him getting to the rim. Um, the mini Ben Simmons thing, even though he's only like an inch and a half shorter, uh, is a is a comparison that comes up a lot. Not just because they kind of look the same, mm-hmm. um, but you know this is a super high IQ player who has a great deal of feel, has a lot of touch on on the shots that he does take, um, likes to guard smalls. And can can rim protect like we're talking about somebody who does a lot of the things the NBA needs, and unfortunately because he didn't uh, play the first half of his senior year um, with the transfer between IMG and Nicolette and back to Nicolette, um, people didn't see enough of it, and there's just not enough media in Wisconsin to to put a camera on him for his playoff run. But this is somebody who really started to shoot. Um, there is tape of him playing Morgan Park. Uh, and he's just knocking down jumper after jumper off the dribble. So is still- this? Is this in like a fall league? By yes. Chance? Yeah. Okay. I've seen this. I've seen this. Yeah. I've seen this. And um, if that dude's real, if the dude who can go like rocker step, one hang dribble, uh, defense goes, you know, semi hard hedges and just pulls in their face, if that dude uh, shows up at Duke, then uh, yeah, he should probably go number two. So with Jalen Johnson, and I'm for reasons. And he's probably one of the driving forces behind me not putting out a preseason board because I don't, let's just say for, I am going to do this Jalen Johnson right now, because I I just haven't seen enough of him and the stats I'm not willing to buy because like, for me, if you can't shoot, there's just so much, there's so little room for air for you as a creator. But with that being said, if Jalen Johnson shoots the three point like shoots volume three pointers all i want to see is volume i want to see him take them and shoots like a respectable percentage and by respectable i'm talking like high 20s like if he gets to 30 that's top five easy like if he's shooting in the 30s with volume he's going to be in the top five and he's someone i'm super and i know you really like him and he's just one of the guys that i'm probably like when the college season kicks off I'm watching a bunch of Duke games immediately because I just want to see him because he's one of the guys that I really haven't seen that much. And if the shooting is true and if the shooting volume, like just that simple sidestep at six, eight, if that's real and he's shooting and he's taking those with confidence, then that's a complete game changer. Yeah. And uh, we talked about good fits earlier and um, the Duke fit for literally everyone next year is yeah. it's bad. Like there's no there's no five man lineup you can put on the floor that makes a ton of sense and gets everybody's needs met. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see who ends up as like the second and third most used primary initiator. Um, you know, I I love Henry Coleman. I love Wendell Moore. Who knows if they'll be in the rotation? Yeah, and it really does suck because if you look up and down the roster, like I pretty much. And we talked about Jalen Johnson, so the jury is kind of slow on him. Other than that, I pretty much really, really like everyone on the roster. Like, big fan of Jeremy Roach, and saw I've seen him develop since since he was a freshman. Big fan of DJ Stewart. I haven't seen Henry Coleman yet, but people I trust sing his praises to the moon. I still own some Matthew Hurt stock. Wendell Moore, I get it. 
I like, I like the passing flashes, the defense, the age. It, I'm, I get that the jury's still out on him. Like, I really like all these guys. Like, in a vacuum, I like Roach and Stewart together. Like, that's a good backcourt to me. Stewart and Jalen Johnson, that's awesome to me. But then, like, when you factor in Roach, Stewart, Jalen Johnson, and Wendell Moore, Roach, Jalen Johnson, and Coleman, like, it just it doesn't really work. No, and I mean, my concern with Moore is that Moore like doesn't have a, a single skill. Yep. Uh, where Matthew Hurt does. Um, do you want just some real quick before before I move on? Just some Matthew Hurt numbers. So, I, listen, Matthew Hurt. <laughs> I think I had Matthew Hurt like seventh on my preseason board, which is obviously just like completely missing the fact that like you need to be built if you're going to play the forward you need to be built stronger than a skateboard rail but matthew hurt is a goddamn elite shooter and i cannot get enough of that release so give me some propaganda 96th percentile in post-ups oh 92nd per- 92nd percentile against all half court man 92nd percentile on jump shots 91st percentile on three-point shots 90th percentile unguarded jumpers 50.5% of Duke's total minutes played. Like, if we're just looking ahead to next year, he's just going to have to be one of the mainstays in the rotation if they want to be one of the best college basketball teams in America because you just, they're going to need that floor spacing. Like, he just, that's just, that's someone that I'm comfortable penciling in as like one of, I don't know, let usage, we'll see how the on-ball reps and actual usage shakes out. But in terms of pure minutes, like, he's going to be there. Yeah, it's just um, Duke next year is going to be one of the more interesting experiments in lineup theory, in uh, politics theory, in a lot of things shaking out. Um, I hope that uh, everybody gets a chance to to get what they signed up for. I hope everybody gets their chance to, to improve their draft stock. But, man, do I not want to build that rotation. Yep. That's tough. That's going to be tough. So this is probably going to be a two-parter anyway. So I just want to pick your brain on one guy who's a personal favorite of mine before we move on to the DMV area. And that's Caleb Love. So I, Caleb Love early, early on is a top five guy to me in the class. And that's part due to a bunch of reasons. I haven't seen Jalen Johnson, but for the most part, I really, really buy Caleb Love because to me, you just get a guard with that handle, that space creation, and the shooting upside that he has, and just the burst. And I just really, really buy his offensive upside to a high degree. I don't really know where you're at on Caleb Love, but I want to hear your thoughts. Um, I worry about the muscle mass. Like, exactly how big do you think he is in the NBA in terms of like so weight? Yeah. So I don't know if he's. I don't the, – the biggest concern for me right now is I don't know how big he's going to be, and the finishing is a little bit concerning to me right now. Um, he takes off a little bit too far from the basket sometimes, sometimes contact averse. He, he's just not that good of a finisher. He's not, not as good of a finisher as I'd like him to be, considering his calling card is probably going to be a scoring guard, right? Like, the nucle- I buy the shooting to a pretty high degree. The volume is there. The confidence is there. The shot, like space creation is really, really impressive. But if, you're, if we're talking about like explosion, strength, and just pure finishing, those are probably some of my bigger concerns. Yeah, so for the 13 EYBL games, uh, in 45 possessions, they have him at 28th percentile for finishing around the rim. Yeah, I have, I have seen those. Um, it is for somebody who patterns their game off Dame, like, and there's a lot of similarity there, it's going to be just putting on chest muscle and being able to go chest to chest with people. Um, there's a lot of opportunity for it. It just, he has to change the way that he moves in the paint. Um, I, I like his passing. I don't think that he has to be like an insane passer yep. since he's going to, you know, create advantage, but the finishing has to go from like being what I would say is now poor to uh, at the very least being a free throw tank. Because otherwise, life is going to get really difficult. So the thing I'd be most interested for him, his stock for me depends on what his free throw rate is and like how much muscle he can put on and uh, what that does for his, his stability. So I, I don't like doing this. Like, look, unless I have like concrete sourced intel on someone's work ethic, personality, and all that, I don't like making assumptions based on film. And you might know otherwise. So stop me if I'm just rambling with no cause. But like, he Caleb Love on film like is an absolute dog. Like 
that dude is just like, if we're talking about never scared, and yeah, it's easy to be never scared when you're the highest ranked player in your state and you're a five-star going to North Carolina. That dude, people chirp him all day long. He doesn't even entertain it until the clocks run down and he beat you by 15 and put 30 on your head. Like, And my, where I'm going with this is I do think he doesn't have like the personality and the wiring to shy away from contact. I just think he needs to get more confident putting on that muscle going chest to chest with shot blockers, getting into the paint. And like, I, he does take off too far from the rim sometimes, like more times than I'd like. So if you can change that and just kind of rewire him and say, look, dude, you're eight pounds stronger, 10 pounds stronger than you were a year ago. You don't need to catch shot blockers off guard with these finesse finishes from seven feet out, eight feet out, get all the way to the rim, go chest to chest with them embrace the contact and get to the free throw line where he's a good shooter. Like, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibilities based on what I've seen. Oh no, not at all. Um, I don't think that, I mean, his wiring is, it's so much fun to watch uh, so dudes fun. wired like that. Um, it's just, you have to relearn habits and he got to where he is based on, you know, these finesse finishes, these high craft finishes, and that's just hours in the lab and learning how to do it a different way with a different body is a process. And doing that during a season is also difficult. I mean, granted, he has a little extra time to put weight on, um, which is probably good for for him. And, I mean, it's it seems to be pretty good weight for, like, carrying himself. Not everybody's capable of putting on the type, the certain sectors of weight. But he seems like he has a frame that can put on, you know, the, the core, chest, arm, shoulders section. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say it seems pretty likely to me that his free throw rate will get there. But I would just love to see him just be a free throw nut. Thank you guys for tuning into part one of the podcast. I hate to end it so abruptly, but don't worry. Part two should be out in the next few days, so stay tuned for that. And again, thank you for joining us.